I'm turning this evening to the book of Job, just in front of the book of Psalms, the book of Job, chapter 23, and verse 3. These very famous words of Job of old, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And our subject is hope for the searching soul. Now these words were spoken a very long time ago. Spoken by Job, who was a poet, a country squire, well more than that, a great landowner and a farmer on a vast scale, a magistrate in his township or city, a haulage contractor with so many camels and all these things. But he'd encountered great tragedies, the loss of his family, the shattering of his health. He was an earnest believer in God, but he was dismayed. And he couldn't explain what was happening to him. And he had so-called friends who came to comfort him. But instead of comforting him, because they differed from him in religious matters, they falsely accused him of secret sin and charged him with having a corrupt character, deeply corrupt and being a hypocrite. So Job is cast down, and he cries out. And his words here are amazingly profound. You can see that he was a considerable man of letters, because even his short statements are so finely tuned and elaborately structured. It comes naturally to him as he opens his mouth and cries out some sentiment, The structure of language is magnificent. And here's an example. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And what has been recorded here are words which happen to track the chief factors and elements in searching after God. Almost word by word, the preacher will look at the text, the expounder will look at these words and say, well, my points or my headings are already provided. I can do no better than the words in this great exclamation. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat, his judgment throne, or his throne. And I'm going to take it just a word at a time, beginning with that opening exclamation, Oh, that I knew. Well, it's straightforward to explain it. It's an exclamation of need. And it is also an exclamation of great desire. And this is the beginning of searching after God. You have to feel a great need. 
And you have to have a great longing and desire. Now, of course, Job was searching for a solution to his problem. Why have all these come upon, things come upon me? But the pattern he provides is perfect for the seeking soul also, the person who wants to find the Lord. Oh, that great exclamation. It speaks about humility. You come to God humbly. You come to him ready to hear him and to understand him. Without humility, he will not listen to your cry. Without humility, you get nowhere. The person who comes in an antagonistic spirit comes, I am going to decide for myself whether God is or whether he isn't, whether he's worth it or whether he's not worth it, whether it's desirable, this thing, for me, God and religion and faith, or not. I'm going to compare him with what's on offer in this world around me. You come in that spirit, you find nothing, you understand nothing, you get nowhere, you have no reply from God. You have to come to him humbly. He's Lord of the universe. He's creator of all things. He's your rightful Lord. He made and owns you. You've offended against him, you've ignored him, you've sinned against him and his laws. We can't throw our weight about before God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That's the beginning. That's the qualification for finding anything from God. Oh, that I knew. So it's an expression of need and desire and is humble, why Job is coming disillusioned with uh, anything apart from God. He wants an explanation for his condition. He's not going to look for it in this world. He's not going to turn to his philosopher poet friends and say, well, you teach me, you tell me, you show me the remedies of how I can lift myself out of this situation in this world. Now he's disillusioned with that. It is a cry of disillusionment. Have you seen through the world? Have you seen the folly of the human race? So much higher than the animals, given wonderful gifts, the power of reason, sensitive emotions, the capacity to love and appreciate and even create and all the wonders of language and visual powers, so many things, and yet so much sin and selfishness and pride and rottenness, and it's never going to be cured while the world runs until Christ comes and puts an end to it all. There'll always be whole areas of the world either starving or suffering genocide or some terrors of war of some kind. It'll always be human nature. Are you disillusioned? Do you realize we need the Lord? Oh, is the expression of need and humility before God and disillusionment with atheism 
and no faith, no God, no union with him. And Job really feels it. But I must hurry. Oh, that I knew. Take that word new, knowledge. Oh, that I may know how to find him. It isn't a matter of speculation. That's no good. It isn't a matter of uh, human theories and ideas, humanly concocted religions, all kinds of assumptions. Why, that's like, you want to know God? You want to search for him and find him? Don't look for him in the theories and ideas and the teaching of this world. That's like going into the desert to find somewhere and you don't know where it is. You haven't got a map reference. Come to think of it, you haven't got a map or a chart and you haven't got a compass. Why, it's sheer folly. Or looking for something in the jungle and you don't know where you're going and you've no means of getting there. Looking for religion in this world which is in rebellion against God and has all sorts of theories, but no knowledge. Oh, that I knew there is a certain knowledge that will get you to God. There is a plan of redemption for this world that God has spoken in. It comes by revelation. It comes through his word, through the scriptures. It comes through the prophets of old and through Christ Jesus. When he came, it's something which has been delivered into us. And it's certain from cover to cover, the Bible teaches the same way of salvation, the same way to approach God. There is a way, a knowledge, a process, and it's clear, unchanging. Oh, that I knew. You may know. You can find it. You can understand it. It's clear. It's about Christ, the Savior, the only person in the history of the world who has ever been prophesied and foretold many, many times in very great detail by the prophets of old, the unique Messiah, Christ, who came and who suffered and died on Calvary's cross to bear the punishment of sin in our place, the only one who can redeem. Oh, the need and desire that I knew, well, you may know, as I say, the plan of salvation given in the Scripture. Look at the verse. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Let me talk about that for a few moments. Where to find God? Of course, it would be absurd to say, but some people think like this, in such and such a country. I remember years and years ago, when I was younger, the Beatles set out to find God. As they thought about how to find God, it came to their minds that they'd find him in India. So they took up Indian transcendental meditation. 
So I'm not talking vaguely, dreamily here. People think, oh, you'll find God in the Eastern religions, the Indian religions, in this part of the world and that part of the world. No, you don't find him in any set location. He's spoken through his word. He's spoken supremely through his son, Jesus Christ the Lord, equal with God the Father who came into this world. Where I might find him. Well, where? Will I find him in an environment of works? If I do my utmost to live a better life and to restrain my sins, if I somehow manage to curb my natural selfishness, whatever our master sin is, or our pride, or our dishonesty, or this or that, will I find God in doing performing works? Therefore, will I find him in a works religion? Say, like the Church of Rome, do this, do this, do this, do this, follow these procedures, observe this, observe that. Will I find him by my performance, by my works? No, that's not where you find him, because he's holy, and we are sinful, and no works that we can do would be good enough to secure our acceptance by him. Salvation must be free. It must be something he gives me, pardon, forgiveness, understanding, a new life, freely from God, given on his terms that I believe in Christ as my Saviour, who suffered and died for sinners, and that I repent of my sin and yield up my life to him. That's how I find him, not in works, not in ceremonies. There are endless religious ceremonies, but you can't find God in the world of ceremonies. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. No, not in the world of meditation or ceremonies or works, not in a, a library or a university. If I study religion all my life, maybe at some stage I'll find God. Where? Not in the place of studies. Not in anything like that, but in Christ in trusting in the Saviour who came into this world. Best of all, where do you find God? At the foot of the cross, where Christ died 2,000 plus years ago, and you come there in your mind, in your heart, and you trust in what he did on that cross, in dying a terrible death as God put upon him, the eternal weight of punishment due to the repentant sinner and you confess your sin and thank him and trust him and give your life to him at the foot of the cross of Christ that's where you find him oh that I knew where I might find him let me linger on the I just for a moment 
It's the second time, actually, that it occurs, this personal pronoun. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know, there are people who don't understand this is personal. It's not, oh, that I knew where we might find him. And I've known people who've been very, very impressed by the Christian faith, by the Christian worldview. And they've come to the point where they've said, this is infinitely higher and better than any philosophy that is taught in this world. Only the scriptures, I've seen it, they say, only the scriptures, only God explains why men and women are like they are. Only the Bible explains the human condition, how we came here, how we fell into sin, how we have the standards of God written on our consciences, but we can't keep them adequately to please him and honor him. Well, we say, they say, I I see it all. I see the doctrines of the Christian faith and how they interlock and how they answer all my queries and the way of salvation. I see it all. And I'm going to champion this in future. You know, back in the 60s, there was a a preacher who specialized in... uh, preaching in the universities and he attracted tremendous attention a great wave of attention and wherever he went in Britain but more particularly on the continent of Europe uh, and he would preach fluently in French in Switzerland, in Geneva and so on and to all the universities and great crowds of students, not dozens not hundreds but thousands would listen to him And vast numbers of them were persuaded by him that only the scriptures, only the Bible explains everything you need to know about. And many of these people became convinced Christian worldview adherents. But in the course of time, they left it behind. It was a kind of fad for them. It swayed them, and they really respected it and appreciated it over this world's notions and philosophies. But then they slipped away from it because many of them had not personally come to know Christ. It wasn't personal with them. They didn't have new lives. They didn't have spiritual life given to them so that they could pray to God and know his power and his goodness and understand him and relate to him and walk with him. This wasn't a personal conversion and a living experience for them. That's why I draw attention to the I. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I want to find God personally, you've got to say. I want my life to be changed. I want my understanding to be flooded with lights about God. I want, though I can't touch him, I know that and I can't hear his voice, not until I go to heaven. I want, nevertheless, to know his very powerful influence in my life. 
changing me, helping me, molding me, guiding me. I want a personal walk with God. That's what Job is speaking of. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Where I might find him? Isn't this somewhat preposterous? I, insignificant speck of dust in the presence of the almighty creator. How arrogant of me. I want a relationship with him, the creator of all things, and Jesus Christ, the savior, all-powerful, all-knowing, God over all. Am I overreaching myself? I want a relationship with him. But that is the wonderful thing about God and about the Bible. God specializes in this, making relationships with the lowliest and the simplest and the most needy. God's grace is such that everyone and anyone may seek him and find him and say, oh, that I knew where I might have him. You think of it in the scripture. You know, throughout the Bible, there are endless narratives of how God goes out of his way to do the unexpected and to select the person thought least likely to be suitable. You think of King David. Great man as he was in his day, with many natural powers and capacities to be a king, a ruler, and a successful one, and a general, and, and a poet, and a spiritual man. He was everything. But that's not how it started. Why, there are a few uh, narratives quite like the anointing of David by the prophet Samuel, who was sent by God to go to a particular family, the family of Jesse. And the community was terrified when Samuel arrived, the high priest and prophet of the Lord. Did it mean doom and judgment for them? But no, he wanted Jesse, and he wanted to see his sons, because God would show him who was to be anointed to be the future king. You know the account. The oldest son, then the next son, then the next son were paraded before Samuel. Seven of them passed before his notice, and God said, not him, not him, not him. And the youngest one, who nobody thought anything of, had not even been brought. All the sons, but one was missing. There was no possibility he could be desired by the prophet for any purpose. He was looking after the sheep. He was the mere shepherd of the family. And he was the one. The Bible's full of this. Thinking Acts 17 is a wonderful account of the Apostle Paul preaching at Athens. And it wasn't the philosophers, the Epicureans, and the, Sto and the Stoics who were called... Oh no, it was quite a small band of people who responded in Athens to the apostles' preaching. And 
A couple of them are named. It was a very small group. One was a distinguished man, Dionysius the Areopagite, who was the kind of chairman or the president of the whole philosopher's guild. And he was saved. And then there's one other name mentioned. And a woman named Damaris. Who was she? Nobody knows. There is no dignified label attached to her. She's just a woman, an obscure and insignificant person. But that's the record of Scripture. And a woman, an unknown woman, who doesn't feature anywhere else in the Bible, named Damaris. Oh, says Job so long ago, oh, that I knew where I And we can say, even I, unworthy as I am, insignificant as I am, may find Almighty God and Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, and walk with him and know him and have him. Every word helps us here. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Find him. Why that word? Find him. Is he hidden? Yes. He's hidden. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's hidden. He hides himself from us because we're rebels and we're disobedient and we've sinned away our lives and we're offensive in his sight and we're corrupt and we're unbelievers and we've insulted him and despised him and we've tried to get rid of him from our lives so he's hidden from us oh that I knew where I might find him when you find something you find something you hadn't previously seen not since before you lost it or before you started searching Maybe you find something which you've discovered for the very first time, like we find some information or we find a truth. It's new to you. You never saw it before. Do you know conversion is just like that? The experience of being converted to Christ means finding something you never saw before. And you never felt before. You had no idea of it before. And you say when you're converted, I didn't know it was like this. I never saw this. I never saw the need for forgiveness. I never really saw what Christ was doing in that substitutionary death to take my place. I never saw the truth as I see it now. 
I never felt the nearness of God before or knew his touch on my life and his influence. I've discovered something I never had before. So the word find is very descriptive and very relevant and very good. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And you find a new peace and a new joy and a new happiness and a new purpose and a new destination because you're on the way to heaven. Why find, well, my love of myself and my love of this sinful world has now been replaced by a new love. Love for Christ and his truth. What a change. I have found, there's an old hymn, now I have found a friend, Jesus is mine. His love shall never end, Saviour divine. Not in the books today, but oh friends, that's what you find. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. One last word, and the most important one. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He is everything. Him. You're looking for Christ. You're looking for the Savior. You must look for him. Because he's the only one who can secure your forgiveness. He's the only one who has suffered and died for sinners and made an atonement for them. He is the one, life of perfect righteousness, to deserve heaven for all who come to him and who come under his wing. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Saviour. John Newton, the old slave trader who was converted, he wrote to him with a verse, Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. Marvellous words. Christ is all those things for those who come to him. He'll be your shepherd and he'll guide you throughout life. Verse 10 down here, Job says, but he knoweth the way that I take. He knows every step he's planned out for you if you come to him. He's your shepherd, he's your brother. The idea of a brother is that brothers normally are loyal to you and feel for you. He's your brother. He's not only your brother, he's your friend. He has powerful affection towards you. God has affection for me. Yes, if I come to Christ, he has powerful affection 
upon you. He's your prophet, your teacher. He's your priest, the one who stands between you and God and represents you to God and offers his righteousness and his atoning death on your behalf. He's your Lord. He's your King. He becomes your life and your heaven and your future. Oh, this is, these are the words of Job for every searching soul. Oh, feel your need, friends. Desire him and be humble as you seek him. Oh, that I knew. Do you know the plan of salvation? The definite, eternal plan, unchanging. Where I, do you want a personal encounter with Christ? Might find something entirely new in your life and different and fresh, which will last for all eternity. Find him, Christ, because if you find him, you have everything. Perhaps to close, I'd just like to read some words from the end of Psalm 73. Says the psalmist, So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, this is conversion. He's been changed. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsels and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the case when you come to Christ. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, look upon us all this night and draw us to him in whom alone is salvation and life. Bring us to seek him and to find him and to know him. Lord, bless each one. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour, for his sake. Amen. <laughs>